from testimony to missionary, from missionary to emissary. And uh, we'll talk more about the significance of that title. I run up for those of you who do not know me. We, I started a, uh, my family and I moved to Bolivia five years ago. And we started a medical missionary training school and uh, a lifestyle center um, where there was nothing there. And so God led us there to start the school, and we thought it was going to be something small, just our family with three or four or five students and one or two patients. And it had nothing to do with dentistry. And God calls me to go there to Bolivia to start this ministry. And I'm saying no to God. <laughs> um, and for three months, I struggled with that because we were doing very well in Montana, living a quiet country life, um, ministering to my patients, praying after a, one of the um, amen conferences. I went back. We started praying with our patients, every single one of them, and uh, it just transformed our practice. It was amazing what it did for us. Uh, it, it took a little bit of encouraging myself, because if you have never done something like that before, you're committing to something, to your staff and to your patients, and uh, to pray for them and with them. Um, but after we started, I realized, wow, this is what it's all about. It was no longer so much about teeth and getting dentistry done, but it was about the need, meeting the needs of the patients. And their need was actually, I found out very quickly when I started to do this, their need, the greater need many times was not their dental need. Okay? And so I began to pray with them, and that led to many times discussion with our patients about their family, about their, uh, their work, and many times, after an hour or hour and a half sometimes, Mrs. Patient, I'm so sorry. We just spent the whole time talking. We haven't even gotten started. And it looks like my next patient is waiting. Oh, that's okay, doc. That's okay. I'll come back next time. Don't worry. And, uh, and what do I owe you? <laughs> I said, no, you don't owe me anything. We, I didn't do anything. Yeah, but you spent the time with me. And they would just tell me these things, and it was just such a fulfilling ministry I had in my practice. And my staff and I, we were all, I brought the whole staff, my very first Amen conference in San Diego. And uh, they all knew what we were up to. And so when we went back, we had meetings, how are we going to implement this? And we decided to have a meeting every morning and go through our schedule of every patient that was going to be coming that day and we were going to pray for every one of them in the morning during our worship time. So we began to do that. And uh, when the patient would come in, they would sit, and I get, got rid of all the magazines, the worldly magazines, and I only put in there things like Steps of Christ. We had a Bible in there, Ministry of Healing. That was a popular one. That's amazing how many people pick up that book and something about prophecy by Mark Finley, a hardback. And they would ask me, where can I buy this? This is amazing. Where can I buy this? And we could, sometimes we sell them. Sometimes 
We lend them. We don't want to give it to them because they may not value it. Make sure you read it and then bring it right back because we want to save it for the next person that might want to read it. You know, kind of gives them an urgency. And so they would take it and, or, and read the books. And then sometimes we were ready for the patient, but because they were reading the books, I would wait. I would just let them, let God speak to them through the books. And so even though I was ready, we were all ready to go, we would just let them read the books. And, um, and then we would, when it looks like they're putting it down or losing, less, uh, losing interest, then we would see the patient, seat them, and pray with them. Um, one time, uh, this person, I asked him, is there something specific I can pray for you? And he's kind of a joker. He said, yeah, pray that I don't have to pay the bill today. <laughs> but that was the only time <laughs> that anybody said anything like that. The rest of the people, all the time, they just appreciated the prayer so much. And they really, really, this time was a bonding time for us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, one time the same guy, he said, no, I don't. The first time I said this to him, and then he got wiser. He was, he was at home thinking about what he was going to ask for the next time. So the first time I, said, I asked him if I can pray with him, he said, oh, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist, and I was a Christian, and I don't, I don't believe in that. I said, I don't need prayer. He said, I said yeah, but I need the prayer because I'm taking care of you. So I need God to help me to make sure I take care of you properly. So, oh, in that case, yeah, go ahead and pray for me. <laughs> and so he had no problem after that. And then the next time is when he asked for the bill. And so that began to transform our practice into a dental practice, but actually it was a ministry. And it was so fun because my staff, two young ladies, I had trained them when they were young, 17, trained them how to, do, um, how to make crowns. So we were doing lab work in our office. And um, we were playing tag team. My assistant would greet them and start talking with them, kind of prepare them, find out what's going on in their lives. And then she would come back in the back office and tell me what's going on and tell me what kind of things she might need, that person may need he or she may need, and then I would go in and either confirm what she said or talk more deeply about spiritual things. And it was just amazing. And uh, we were, I was giving Bible studies to our patients. I was giving, uh, one year I asked God, please give me three Bible studies this year. And uh, I just... One day I asked my patient, I don't know why I asked her this, because I had never asked the patient this before. I just, out of the blue, I had this thought, ask her if she wants Bible study. So I did. Would you like Bible study? And I was so shocked. She said, yes, I want Bible studies. What? You want Bible studies? Are you sure you want Bible studies? Because the problem was, she said yes, and now I didn't know how to give Bible studies. Okay? That was my problem. So I said, okay, what do I do? Okay, I got my first Bible study. And uh, so I said, okay, next week we'll meet at your house. I'll be at your house. What time is best for you? 7 o'clock, okay, 7 o'clock at your house, Monday. 
Okay, and so she she leaves, and then I'm at at home calling my dad. Dad, he's given hundreds and hundreds of Bible studies. I have my first Bible study. My patient wants Bible studies, and he said, "That's good." I said, "No, it's not good. I don't know how to give Bible studies." But he said, "You've seen me give hundreds of Bible studies. You don't know how to give Bible studies? No. You went to Adventist schools all your life. You don't know how to give Bible studies? No, I don't know." Help me. <laughs> so he emailed me materials. And so I studied that and I prayed for this person like I've never prayed for anybody else. Because I felt like I was responsible for this person's soul, eternal life. Okay. And so I began to pray for her every day. And then I got a call on, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. Can I bring my son? And I'm thinking in my heart, yes, another Bible study. I, um, yeah, sure, you can bring your son. No problem. And by the way, he has a friend. He would like to come too. How many was I praying for? There's my three Bible studies. And so we started Bible studies. And uh, every week I would look forward and I would always call my dad, help me with the Bible study. And that's how we would spend Week by week, I studied, Bible, I studied with them for, through, for a year. And finally, she was already uh, baptized before by immersion. She didn't feel she needed to be baptized. She believed in everything. So she, by uh, profession of faith, thank you, I'm losing my English. And, um, and her son and his friend got baptized. That was such an incredible moment in my life, seeing the people that I studied with being baptized. And to me, that's what life was about at that moment when I saw this. And so I began to realize that there was something greater than in my practice of taking care of dental needs. And the dental care was just the uh, DBA, doing business as, okay, the facade, what was on the storefront, but really we were doing something else. And um, that trans transformed my life and uh, it began a journey that eventually led to Bolivia, starting a medical mission training school, teaching others how to be missionaries for Jesus. Young people, instead of losing their eternity, losing their time in the, on this earth, teaching them how to give Bible studies, how to win souls for Jesus, how to, what does the Bible say? How to find Jesus and have a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so this is what began, how it began. We're in the process of changing our name, making it into a foundation, because our, even though we went there with the intention of having a small ministry just for our faith, family. <clears throat> it kept growing and growing and growing. First year, our students were sleeping in tents outside the building and uh, all the way around the building. And as soon as we built one of the first dorms, the first dorm, it was all full. There were more students sleeping in the, in the in tents. And as soon as the second one was built, we still had more students coming and uh, we just couldn't keep up. Every time we built something, by the time it was finished, it was already too small. We built the kitchen, it was too small. I thought it was, it was huge. 
But by the time we finished building, it was too small. And right now we're building a, finishing a bakery. And I'm wondering if it's too small <laughs> when we started because we have been build, um, baking bread under a mango tree. And it was a little thing with the, sh uh, with the roof. And we would put um, these tarp, um, not tarp, it's polisombra, it's called in Spanish. Um, polisombra? Polisombra, it's like a plastic, it's like the thing that you put over agriculture fields, tarp, but it's got kind of holes in them for us. Huh? Net mesh, yeah, that's it, mesh. Okay, and so with that, we would put it around the, the post, and that was our, our bakery. My 15-year-old son last year started to be the chief baker at our school. And this was a ministry that I really asked God, please, Send me where my whole family can be working for Jesus. I didn't want to go somewhere where the dad would be busy working and then the family is at home doing their regular thing in the mission field. I wanted everybody to be involved in the ministry. And so God took us there and provided a beautiful place. And uh, this isn't all the, everyone this year, but beautiful place. And uh, it all started here in Montana. God called us to the country, beautiful place. And we were, for the first six, seven months, I didn't have any responsibilities. I sold the practice in California, in Modesto, and moved there. And in the country, in the quietness of nature, it's been spending time with God. Just, I found God. Or, yeah, I found God and his love for me personally. It happened after a plane accident. I shared at an Amen conference several years ago, my testimony. And after that, I began to think about what was really important in my life. Is it my practice? Is it making money? Is it getting the respect of my peers? What was really important in my life? And I reevaluated what was important in my life. I always said what God was important, but my life showed that God was not important in my life. Because I would wake up, barely had time to eat breakfast. I would actually take the breakfast in my car on my way drive to, to work, half an hour. I would be eating, putting my tie on, finishing whatever I had to do. And uh, let's work all day long, come back late, yell at the kids, go to bed. And this is, was my life cycle every day. And then result of the airplane crash, I began to evaluate what's really important. What life am, am I living? Am I living a life that is, that is a value to my family, to my patients, and to myself? And so I began to spend time with God, and I found God. As I was spending daily, every day, 10 minutes became 15 minutes, and 15 minutes became 30 minutes. 45 minutes, an hour, and every day I, it would get longer and longer because I was in love with God because I understood what he had done for me. Not only did he save me from a plane crash, but he saved me for eternity. And if I would have died that day in the plane crash, I would have never known this experience. And I believe at that point that God saved me for that purpose, to show me how much he loved me and to show me a different way of life. And so I began this journey with God. And after six months, after a year, after two years, 
I began to realize why God saved me from that crash. And then my ministry, I realized, was my family. And so I began to minister to my family. And that's why we moved to Montana. And, and there, I spent time with my children. When they were, they were really little, this was later, but when we first moved there, they were really little. I would get down in the dirt with them, in the ground with them, and play marbles, play cars, chains, make noise, just at their level. It's Jesus, what he did for us. He came from way up there, came all the way down here. He knelt as low as he can kneel, and he was down in the dirt with us so that we can understand what he is like. And so that taught me a few things about children and how they need the father's um, presence in the home. They need the father to be there, to be their daddy, to help them to see that they can trust daddy, that, he, that he's going to be there when they need help, that he's going to be there to help them uh, grow up, that he's going to be there to be the priest of the family. And so I began to be the priest of the family, having worships, and I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know. So I read some books and read, had heard some sermons, tapes. And one of the major things that I learned was play before you pray. And that's how I started playing with them. And uh, before... Kids, it's time for worship. Oh, what do they say? No, do we have to? They're busy with playing with their own things. But after I spent time with them, after work, came home, put aside my, my profession, profession, you know, that, that appearance or that uh, um, professionalism, laid it aside, and I was a daddy. And after I spent time with them, playing in the things that they wanted to play with, it's time for worship. Yay, it's time for worship. And they go get the book. They bring it out. And we would have a wonderful family worship together. We would sing. And they're learning about God. That God is not somebody that's impersonal. That God is somebody too busy, too important to spend time with them. But they see God through, through the dad. I grew up when my dad was very, very busy. And so I thought God was very busy being. But I realized that God was not busy. He takes the time to be with me. And so that's the type of dad that I was showing to my children. And so we would spend time playing in the snow, cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, on a very weekly basis, and I would have my prayer time in the morning, early in the morning, and then I would have prayer time with my wife. And then I would have prayer time with my oldest son. And then I have prayer time with my second son. And then I would have prayer time with my third son. And then we would have family prayer together, family worship together. And then we would have breakfast, and then I would go to work and have worship with my staff, praying for each one of my, our patients. And when we began to do this, I believe my patients began to notice the difference. And I believe my patients began to see there was something more that I was there for besides their dental needs, to make money, to get something from them, and then send them off. 
and I believe that um, it transformed my practice because it wasn't something that I did in the practice, but my whole life was different. I had an ulterior aim in life. Okay? If we have an aim in life that is based on things in this world, someday that aim will, will break it, will break up. But if our aim in life, if our purpose in life is based on something more eternal, more higher, higher than what can happen on this earth, then no matter what happens on this earth, we know we have, like a, we have a north star that can guide us and direct us. And so this is what I found in my life as I began to spend time with God. And so I began to have this kind of uh, practice and as a result of um, my time with God. And so a compelling success in practice involves a compelling aim in life, something that compels me, something that gets me up in the morning, something that is not based on economy, something that is not based on war or situation, our environment, what happens in my country, something that is higher, something that is greater than human beings, something that is beyond what can happen on this earth a compelling aim in life. For me, the aim in life was to be more like Jesus, to spend time with him, because I've discovered that this is, mm, this is the basis of my life at this point. And to have a dedicated team and win patients for life, I found that people are looking for something. Patients are looking for something real, something genuine, because they don't see it. They have not felt this in anywhere else. In television, and games, and vacations, people that have money, they spend a lot of money going on vacations, and I've done this, $20,000, $30,000 for a two-week vacation. And afterwards, it just feels empty. Okay? And there's, there's nothing substantial that stays with you. And so people are looking for something that is real, something that is genuine. And if they can sense that we have a genuine God in our, in our office. We have something real in our office. I believe that they can sense this. And I believe that they will stay there for become patients for life because they can't find it anywhere else. And if we can give them something that they can't get anywhere else, then they will stay. Stay with you. One time I was leaving, when I was leaving the practice, a patient came in and I told her, the practice was going to be taken over by somebody else. And, and she was so disappointed. She was such a, she was one of those patients. She came in with a bag full of teeth that other dentists had done. And she was talking, talking to me about so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that and didn't work right. And, it went, and I, was, I was getting ready to, <laughs> the problem patient, you know, that's, that's a, we learned in dental school, very basic. But I just sensed that something, I sensed that God was telling me actually to take her. And I took her, and she was the best patient I ever had. She paid the bills, she was always on time, and she got better, and she was a perfect patient. And after three, four months of treatments, and I actually charged her more than everybody else because I thought she was going to be a problem patient. But here she was an example, exemplary patient. 
And so by the time we were all done and I was able, to, I was leaving the practice, she was so disappointed that later on she sued me, or she tried to sue me. That's how disappointed she was. And she didn't know how to deal with that because she already had some psychological problems. That's why she had all these other problems. And so when she felt abandoned, okay, first time I ever was in the situation, and I knew what was going on. But it turned out that I gave, one, one of the things I learned when we give our lives to God, and we are his, everything we own is his. When we have a problem, when we have a lawsuit, whose problem is that? It's God's problem. It's not my problem. And so I said, God, here's a problem. It's yours. It's not mine. What are you going to do? Okay. Whatever happens is your problem. And so I slept soundly after two nights of battling with this. And I finally realized this is his problem. And then I was able to sleep soundly after that. It turned out that the, the attorney, I sent them all the records. I actually had a videotape. And all the things, all the records, I sent everything. Her attorney didn't even show. And he was an, a dentist turned attorney, the worst kind. Okay. And it didn't even show. <laughs> and so, and they didn't, the insurance company didn't even tell me. About a year later, I called them. So whatever happened to my case? It took them a while to figure out what happened. Finally, they said, oh, it's been dropped. The attorney didn't even show. Oh, thanks for telling me. <laughs> but God is able to take care of his problems, no? Yes, absolutely. And so that's how we can have dedicated team and win patients for life. If we have a goal in the practice that is greater than taking care of their immediate needs, their physical needs, if we have a bigger goal in our office, transcends the physical needs, I believe the staff will become more dedicated in what's going on. Because they can't, they don't see that anywhere else. They see everywhere else that the dentists are trying to make money, doing this and that. Okay, but for the first time, and the problem it creates is when they leave, if they have to move or if I move along, they can't, they're not happy anywhere else. <laughs> this is what I have found. Okay? But using God's laws of health to improve the clinical success of the patients. I have found that if we look at the patient as a whole, instead of a body that walks in with teeth in the mouth, but looks at the patient as a whole. And I believe that if we have our time with God and our staff is in tune with what's going on spiritually, that we can use the laws of health, talking to them about lifestyle. And they appreciate that so much, about their caffeine habit. Okay and their allergies that they're having because it affects their, their dental care. Okay. And so it gives me an excuse to talk to them, counsel them about their, their, um, their dental care, about their, talk to them about their, their health, okay. the overall health. And um, when we start doing this, I realized that people were coming from far away, passing many dentists. And for the first time, I was trying to get rid of patients. Before I was advertising, trying different things, trying to get patients to come into the practice. And now I was trying to get rid of patients because I had too many patients. I didn't move to Montana to be busy like I was in, in the city. Because I had 
I had my, my, my family. They were my ministry. I had patients that I was giving Bible studies to. And so I didn't want this practice to be consuming me because whatever consumes us, whatever we, we are consumed by, what? Will eventually consume us. Okay. And so I wanted to have a balance in life. I was only working three days a week. After all this worship and prayer with my family and breakfast, and I would go to work. And so by the time I started, I think it was like 8.30, and finished at 5, three days a week. I mean, it was, it was heaven on earth in a beautiful place, beautiful setting. It was literally heaven on earth. And uh, what happened, though, as we, five years, six years, seven years later, I sensed my spiritual life was beginning to go down. And I, was, I got scared. I didn't want to go back to where I was before. Because before, I was going further, away, further and further away from God. And my spiritual life was non-existent. I was going to church. I was paying to tithe because I knew I had to do those things. I'm a third generation Adventist. And I would be foolish not to tithe because the, I knew the, what the Bible said. So I did all the right things. I even gave out tracts once in a while. And I even participated in the um, uh, Thanksgiving, the can drive, what is it called? In gathering. I even did in gathering once in a while. Okay. I even preached once in a while. Gave um, Sabbath school lessons once in a while. I did all the right things. But God was far from my heart. My heart was not heavenward. And so my relationship with my children was further, getting further and further apart. My wife and I just drifting apart. And this is the life I was living. And that's when God allowed this accident to occur. And so that got my attention and it began to turn my life around. Spending time with God, spending time with my family, and affecting the practice I was working in. Missionary. I found this in the dictionary. Someone who attempts to convert others to a particular doctrine or program. Do you like that definition of missionary? I didn't like that at all. Okay. And second definition, someone sent on a mission, especially religious or charitable mission, to a foreign country. What? What kind of definition of missionary is that? I didn't like that at all. So I began to continue to look. And I liked this definition of an emissary. Someone sent on a mission to represent the interests of someone else. And then I found the real reason why we exist. It is to represent the interests of God. Not only during one day a week in church, but seven days a week. All the time, full time, where I am living to represent God and his interests to others. And so this is where I began my journey. Call unto me in Jeremiah 33, 3. It says, and I will answer thee. How? And he will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Okay? And when I was living in the States, I used to think, how come we don't see great and mighty things in the States anymore? In the mission fields, it seemed like there were a lot of great and mighty things happening, but in 
in the church where I went to, in the neighborhood where I was living, what happened to all the great and mighty things of God? And I discovered why. Because we were not calling on to God. We were not going to God daily, asking God to be transformed by God, by the word of God. And, and so we were not seeing great things because we were not calling on God. Okay? In Bolivia, there are a total of 105,000 Adventists. There are three missions. It's called missions because they, are, they do not have enough tithe to support the, minist the, the, the ministers and the missions, and so it's called a mission, East, Central, and West. Adventist University, there is one. Adventist schools, 32. There are 10,000 students in all the schools and 21 radio stations and 22 TV stations, Adventist. The pastor's salary is an average of $900 a month. The poorest country in South America. This is my family, my wife, my oldest son, Ben, 21, and Ryan, 18, and Justin, he's 16 today, but he was 15 when, he's, when he took over the bakery as our chief baker, and he's our granola maker, and as well as many other things that he does, and Ben did also. Uh, he is now working for Light in Tennessee in the office there. Beautiful place, 400 acres that God provided. I don't have time to share with you the story how we found that place. But when we call on God, God shows us great and mighty things. Okay? This place, oh, I wish I had time. It's been such a blessing. I didn't even know what, else, what all was there. When I first saw the, saw the uh, property, I knew this was God's gift to us. Okay? Basically, we were there for almost two years, and by that time, I had taken some money. By that time, I had used up all the money. I'm sorry, all the money except what the person wanted for the property. So in other words, if I purchased this property, I would have nothing left. I thought, in my calculation, it would last about five years, the money that I had when we went to Bolivia. And I was thinking within five years at that time, because of the things that were happening in the world, that Jesus would come by then. So I thought, I'm safe, okay? I thought two, three years, maybe four years, five years. So I thought I would be safe. But after we purchased the property, we had nothing left. Actually, we had 20,000 left because they actually reduced the price by 20,000. So we had 20,000 left. And I remember in October, we used up the 20,000 that we had. Because once you have a property, you have to finish the building and this and that to prepare. And so we used it up in a few months. And then October, three, year, three years ago. Thursday, um, we were going out to town. And so I gave the person that went to town enough money to buy groceries for the following week. And then I realized there was nothing left. And so I gave him the money, and then I went for a long walk. God, you called me to here. And I knew someday I would run out of money if you didn't come. It's happened a lot sooner than I thought. You promised you would take care of our needs. And God reminded me, whose problem is this? <laughs> it's his problem. Okay, God, it's your problem. I don't know how you're going to solve this. Nobody else knows about this. My wife didn't even know about this. None of my staff, 
Nobody knew about this. So afterwards, I shared during worship a little bit. And afterwards, somebody, one of the volunteers came up. He'd never done this before. came up and gave me a little bit what was in his pocket. And he didn't have much either. He was a volunteer, not supported by anybody. And then a couple days later, we had a truckload of young, uh, a truckload of ladies around town came to our place. They said, we would like consultations. There were about 20 women there in the back of, big, back of a big pickup truck. We would like consultations. Okay, so we went through all of them and consultations. And as they were leaving, they all gave us a little bit. Okay, that's 20 Bolivianos each. We said, no, we don't want This is for you. We're here to help you. We're not here to get anything from you. I said, no, we still appreciate it. Please take this. And so we took all the money. It's $3 or so. And I was looking at this. Okay, I'm adding to both of them. And it's still not enough. God, thank you for this. I didn't expect this, but here it is. But it's not enough. It's not even close to enough for the following, to, following Thursday. And Sunday, we have a visitor from Germany, three visitors. We show them around, tell them about what God's been doing, and we feed them lunch. And as you're leaving, they hand us some money. Oh, no, please, it's okay. Your guests, no, please, okay. So I look, and it's $50. Yeah, that's a little bit more. We usually need a lot more than that. So, but I could see by this time, God was doing something. Okay. God was showing me, remember? <laughs> this is my problem. I will take care of you. Don't worry. And so God was showing me, and I could see what God was doing. None, none of these have hap ever happened before. And then our neighbor comes in with a big bag of yucca. Yeah, you guys know what yucca is? Okay, big bag of yucca. Another neighbor comes in with big bag of uh, uh, oranges. I couldn't believe what was happening. Here and there, a little here and a little there. And by the, by the time Tuesday came around, I needed to know, and so I went to town to see if there was anything deposited into our account. And I get an email back. There was enough money deposited that day to last us for a whole month. And the whole two years that we were there, we had received during the two years about $300, okay, during the whole first two years. But the month we ran out of money, that's when God began to provide for our needs, month after month, for three years now. When I go share different places, I never ask for money because I made a pact with God. Please don't make me beg. When God called me, please don't make me beg. You know, I'm a dentist, remember? <laughs> I don't want to have to beg. God's people should not have to beg for money. If I need something, God, I'm going to go to you. Because I know you can provide. And so that was our agreement. But ever, since then, God has showed me, well, that's pride. If I need to, if God wants me to beg, I will beg, Okay. Uh, so I've learned that that's not the problem, okay. whatever God wants me to do. And so, but at this time, God began to provide, and every month, it's amazing. We have never gone hungry. I never told anybody except my parents one time. We ran out of money again. We need something, and I had to borrow something. And one time, they, I told my parents, and I've been 
told anyone since then of our need. But month by month. And what's amazing is that, like last year, this year, actually, we, our school year starts in March and ends in November. We had amazing, we had 46 students at the beginning of this year, almost 50 students, actually, at the beginning of the year. Okay? After four, after, this is our fourth year. No advertising, no marketing, students that have come from Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Chile, Guyana, Germany, US, different places, Colombia, Panama, okay? And so all these students came. And I didn't know why. Some of them I didn't know how, but one, one way or another, they found out about us, and they came to be trained as missionaries. And they wanted to dedicate their life, rest of their life, to be missionaries. And so here we spent the year training them. And just recently, just last week, I had a meeting with the mission, our mission, where we are. And, I, and one of our students, as representing, representing our ministry, went up to the union office, spoke with a director of health, and both, they both want our students to go out all the churches in Bolivia and teach the church members about health, about how to do health evangelism, how to use the health as an evangelistic tool. And when I heard that, you have to understand, I forgot to tell you. In Bolivia, when we first got there, I was told by, a, by another ministry that in Bolivia, the church leaders do not want to work with self-supporting ministries. It was very disappointing because I felt that God called us to Bolivia to work with the churches. And so it was very disappointing for me to hear that. So I, for a one year, I prayed, God, help. May you open the door because it would be sad if we went all the way to Bolivia and we could not work with the churches. And so I prayed for one year. And then I went to the mission president and told him what I was doing there and what we wanted to do. Our objective was, and he said, yes, let's work together. But since then, even though they told us that by words, there was no action. And so when we, just recently, when I heard about their desire to work together and they wanted us to go to, uh, to all the churches in Bolivia, to me, it was, um, it was an incredible power of God that opened the door for that. So next year, we will have so much work to do all over Bolivia. And then we're getting calls from Chile, from, from other countries, Argentina. Please come and help us over there to start ministries like ours. And so all this started and uh, just show you a few pictures. We don't have much time. Bananas, watermelons, students student studying trees that we didn't know they were there. And my second son, he cuts the trees down and we can use them for construction. Very hard, hardy trees. My youngest son making bread with the help of others. Con doing construction. Our students spend half the time doing uh, classwork and half the time doing learning practical skills. 
constructing a church. And uh, we go to five different places every week to do evangelism, to grow churches, getting starting churches. Uh, this is our rice field, and right now you see the corn amongst the uh, rice fields. And we have enough uh, rice to support uh, everybody for about nine months. And this is an integral part of our students' education, is outside practical work. Uh, we do health fairs, and that has opened doors so that our students actually go to the public hospitals. Okay? And they work with the patients. They actually do training for the doctors and the nurses in public hospitals. They have told me that your students know more than our doctors and nurses. Please come and train them. And they said, please train our cooks so they know how to cook good, healthy food for the patients. And so we spent every day going to the hospital, every day for a month, one month, having classes for the doctors, the nurses, and we're actually, they gave us permission to go to the patients, to pray with them at a public hospital, and to do simple treatments, hydrotherapy, um, charcoal therapy. It would be C-patch now. Okay. Um, and so doing these simple treatments with the patients and uh, going to public schools, high schools and elementary schools, it's amazing what this has been doing, opening doors. And a lot of prayer, prayer and faith will do what? No power on earth can accomplish. And this is the reason why we spend a lot of time in prayer, our students doing practical work, working in churches, training the people. This is one of the larger churches in Santa Cruz. We had 80 graduates, uh, one month light program, very effective training for churches. Students, constant self-denying benevolence is God's remedy for the cankering sins of selfishness and covetousness. And so our constant self-denying of ourselves to be helping others. We're ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. Okay, working with children. Um, with the hope of baptisms, many more baptisms. Our graduating class last year. And these are just some of the students this year. And uh, this is another large church. We did recently a one-month program. Uh, when my children were little, they had a little book. It was only probably about five or six pages. And they loved this book. And it had a little caterpillar. Caterpillar that ate and ate and ate. Maybe you, some of you have seen this little book. It's this thick. Each page is really thick. And it has a hole okay, where the caterpillar ate through the, through the book even. And he would eat ice cream, right? Cake. And he would eat all kinds of junk food. And he got a tummy ache. And then finally, he ate some leaves. And it healed him. <clears throat> and this caterpillar represents human beings living a self-centered life. And I realized that's me. That was me. Living a very self-centered life, consuming everything around me. Just living for self. Okay. And then when the caterpillar goes into that stage in that little cocoon, right? Chrysalis, 
and it becomes almost nothing. The only thing that shows that it's alive is a little tiny beating heart. That's the only thing that's alive. And then eventually becomes a butterfly. And when we learn to live a life without regrets, without limits, sorry, with life without limits is life without regrets. And it says in Desire of Ages, page 250, he who loves Christ the most will do the greatest amount of good. Okay? We can have our practices, but if we do not have this love of Christ in us, it will be no different from any other practice in the world. But if we have a love of Christ, we can do the greatest amount of good through our practices in our homes, in our neighborhood, in our churches. There is no limit, sorry, there is no limit to the usefulness of one who, by putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. And so when I began to do this, living a life wholly consecrated to God, leaving nothing behind, I said to God one time after I began to spend time with God, about three months after that, I got to a point where I realized God really loved me personally and I gave my heart completely to God and everything I had, I consecrated to God. And I will never forget this day. It was like yesterday. And this peace came over my, my soul, and I've never been the same since. That was about 14 years ago. And I still have this zeal and a desire to serve God and consecrate my life to him. And whatever I do would be for eternity and not just for this earth. And so this is my prayer for all of us here in this room, that we would love Christ the most, put him first in our life, okay, so that we can be used by God, that there would be, our life would be without limits, okay, and if we make room for the working of the Holy Spirit on our hearts, and uh, if we live a life wholly consecrated to God. Um, I was suggested to spend, a, give a little time at the end, if you have any questions or Yes. Oh, yes, that's a good question. I ask that all the time. Um, I don't because if I start doing dentistry, I will be consumed by this because there is a lot of need there. If any of you have a desire to come visit Bolivia, you're welcome to come, either short-term or long-term. I would love to have a clinic, but I can't be the one doing it because I believe that God called us to do this school. And so most of the time, I'm, I'm a administrator, I'm a teacher, uh, preacher, um, everything else but dentistry. And I, when God called me at the beginning, I said, God, you have the wrong man. I don't know how to do anything. The only thing I've spent all my time, all, most of my life doing, it seems like, was preparing to be a dentist. Because I knew as a, as a youngster, as a teenager, I knew I wanted to be a dentist. And I was very happy doing it. I was completely, I mean, I was just really absorbed in it taking a lot of continuing education, doing a lot of fancy things and making good money, um, satisfying my patients, and, uh, <clears throat> but then I had a higher calling. And so there, um, I, I haven't been doing any dentistry at all. I, in fact, I, don't, I try not to tell anybody that I'm a dentist because <laughs> I don't want them to know. Yes. Uh, um, San Santa Cruz? 
Mm -hmm. Two hours from Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is one of the larger cities. And we're out in the boonies. We have to cross six or seven rivers, depending on the time of the year, uh, in order to get to our place. It makes it difficult for our students to leave. Um, southwest. You know? Do you know? No, OK. My buddy Eric has been here with me this past year and years ago off and before mission. So it's no accident he's here. Well, yes, we'll talk. Yes. Do you have an airstrip nearby? Oh. <clears throat> well, I know that we can make an airstrip on our property. It's just enough. Okay. My initial idea was to go and be a mission pilot. And by flying into different villages to, to, um, to do medical work with the airplanes, living in the jungle. And uh, this way, uh, we were going to start churches. And, but then, at an OCI conference, my wife and I were both there. We had already made the decision to go to Bolivia, and I had renewed my license. And, um, and I had even got advanced ratings. And uh, at the OCI conference, it was like God was telling both of us separately to start a school. And now I understand the wisdom of that because I realized even though I had two years of high school Spanish, it took me this long. Just this year I started preaching in Spanish and teaching in Spanish. Okay? If I would have gone into the jungles, I probably would have learned it faster. But the culture and it's very difficult life. And I don't know if I could have handled it, <laughs> quite honestly. Okay? But we train the young people and we send them, okay? if they're willing. Okay? And it's much more effective. Instead of us, I mean, it would have taken years to, to start one church. Okay? But with them, 50, 60, I don't know how many God will bring next year. Okay? And uh, if we train them for nine months and the second year, an option for them to train second year or advanced course, more on practical things, more on leadership. And if they can, we, we can send them they're going to be a lot more effective. They know the language. They know the culture. It's going to be a lot more effective. And we can send out tens, twenties, thirties, or hundreds eventually. And that's our goal. Mm -hmm. Yes? How isolated are you? Do you have a lot of population around the school? Where we are, you can hardly see any houses. They're kind of tucked away. And uh, it's beautiful. Um, so it's nice to be home, but whenever I have to go to the city, God, why is it so far? <laughs> but when I'm there, we're very happy. Mm -hmm. If you were to have a mission team go down there, mm -hmm. would you have enough people around the area to come and benefit from that? Yes, it works very well with our students, with what they're doing. And we actually teach English for the students. And so they try to practice their English. And uh, some of them can actually do fairly well. They can help translate. And uh, uh, we, have, we work together with our students, with the groups, depending on what kind of group and what kind of things that they want to do. And then with the skills that our students have and with the draw that foreigners have, it really works very well. It's a lot of work for us, but we love it. Okay. And so we would be more than happy to host uh, a group. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network.
If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.